Well, hey, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome back to the YouTube channel for this installment of John Campia's open mic. Sorry, so I'm, I'm thrown off right now because I'm used to having this monitor on in front of me and I totally didn't notice that we didn't have it turned on before we started. Yeah. Now I feel like I feel like naked because I can't see what's going on. Anyway, guys, welcome back to Open Mic, the show where the mic is open. The floor is yours. What is it you guys would like to talk about? Whatever that is, that's what we are here to do. And we're going to do that in one of two different ways. The first way you can get a question to be addressed here on uh, Open Mic is if you're watching the show in one of the 23 hours where we're not actually streaming live, you guys can send in a question to our tip link simply at streamelements.com slash johncampia slash tip. Now, if you are watching live, you can use the Super Chat feature and send it in. Now, uh, the Super Chats are already kind of overflowing, so they're only going to be open for another two or three minutes. So if you are watching live and would like to get in a question, go ahead and send it into the Super Chats now. I'm joined today in studio by Ray Ora. What is what is he's that you're looking out at? With something? Oh, sorry. What is it? Oh he's my god! He's making out with his cereal. Is that a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle cereal? <laughs> Man, this is getting out of hand. I'm not gonna lie to you. This is starting to get out of hand. Come on, it was only it was only four dollars. Come on, only four dollars. Uh, well, I was gonna say something, but I've chosen not to. Uh, also sitting over here is Jonathan Boyko. I'm the one who has to sit right next to him, making out with cereal boxes. <laughs> And most importantly, you guys are here. So uh, let's get into it. Now, before we do, though, I want to take just a quick second here to talk about uh, something really interesting. Now, we've been talking a bunch about the fact that both Barbie and Oppenheimer destroyed box office projections, right? Like, at most, they were projecting Barbie to make $100 million, made $155. At most, they were projecting Oppenheimer to make $50, made $80 million. And as it actually turned out, we've been reading some analysis of some of the uh, insiders in the industry have been saying, you know, instead of these two movies competing against each other, they actually very much helped each other, creating this Barbenheimer thing. That is something of which we've never really seen anything like this in the movies, and it just kind of propelled it. Well, it looks like the even bigger beneficiary out of the two of them was Oppenheimer. Because according to this story that I've got in IndieWire here. Now, you may need to, if you're going to, Go to it. I don't have it. Just so okay, you know. let me just see if I can uh, get that going here again. Uh, let's see. Uh, that might work for you now. But Oppenheimer was the beneficiary even more because according to stories, they sold $5 million in tickets because people, $5 million of the people were actually went to go to the theater to go see Barbie. It was sold out. And then they ended up going over to see Oppenheimer instead. Now, we talked about this on the John Camp show earlier, but I, I wanted to read this again. This, is, again, is an IndieWire. Barbenheimer double features were only the beginning. Disappointed by sold-out shows, hundreds of thousands of Barbie fans turned to Robert Oppenheimer for comfort. The result is an extra $5 million in the Oppenheimer box office. <laughs> According to film data research company The Quorum, 6% of the people who saw Oppenheimer in the U.S. this past weekend did so because tickets to Barbie were sold out. Oppenheimer drew $83 million domestically, so $4.98 million is attributed to Barbie leftovers. Oppenheimer, Barbie leftovers. Oppenheimer made $93.7 million at the foreign box office. Now, this is, I think there's another angle to this. And I mentioned this on the John Campbell Show podcast earlier, which is, there have been films that have had bigger opening weekends. Not this year. Barbie is officially now the biggest opening weekend of the year. 
But there have been other films that have had bigger opening weekends. A couple, like Avengers Endgame, significantly bigger opening weekends. So how come other movies didn't benefit from that? I think the reason is this. Remember how we were saying that both Oppenheimer and Barbie like shattered the projections? Well, the projections is basically what movie theaters base the number of screens they're going to dedicate to a particular movie, right? And I think, and and I haven't talked to anybody in any of the major theater chains yet. I'm going to email a couple people later and see what they think. But what I think kind of happened here was that I think a lot of people were expecting Barbie to make somewhere between 85 and $100 million and probably screened it appropriately with the fact that they just sold way more tickets than they were anticipating and far more people ran out to go see. And like I said, Ray and I went to the theater a couple times this weekend. The amount of people walking around in pink far exceeded my expectations, <laughs> like way exceeded my expectations. I mean, I, even the guys, remember we had a couple of guys come up to us and ask to take pictures and they were like yeah. in full, like really sharp, full out pink suits and all this kind of stuff. Well, everyone dressed up for the wrong movie. I went in a tweed suit. <laughs> totally tweed. <laughs> so I think the fact that a lot of like the number, the huge number at the box office surprised even the theater. So they didn't have it playing on the appropriate amount of screens. I, I would like, I would like to believe that that 6% was going to watch Oppenheimer anyways. I mean, I don't think, I think no probably one a lot of them may have, but yeah. maybe not till next week yeah, but or something like that. Right. Anyway. Like, yeah, you were probably, I think a lot of those people, like if you, if you weren't interested in the movie at all, yeah, you just go home. Yeah, you're not going to stick it to Barbie or the theaters yeah. by watching it. like, well, movie. screw them. How dare they be sold out? I'm going to go watch, I don't know, what's a sucky movie that I'm going to go watch. means Barbie's going to have another big weekend this coming weekend. I mean, probably. And Oppenheimer's probably going to have another big weekend too because a lot of people who went to go see, like, clearly there were a lot of people who decided they wanted to see Barbie first. Obviously, it made $155 million. I think that means there's probably a lot of business there for Oppenheimer to do next weekend. Right. This is going to be great for both of them. But again, I just think it's really interesting to see this phenomena of Oppenheimer making five million dollars off people who just couldn't get into Barbie <laughs> and therefore turned around and went to Oppenheimer. I think that's awesome. Yeah, because I mean, ordinarily they'd be like, well, the thing we want to see isn't playing. Whatever. We'll just come back. But they know the hype. So they're like, well, yeah, let's do the other right. end it of was that. The hype. Barbenheimer yeah. thing. Right. They, they wanted, like, I think this has been a weekend that has been unlike many weekends we've seen, forget the pandemic era, like unlike a lot of weekends we've seen in a lot of years where you've had two such highly anticipated movies come out. And like that one article that we read from Variety earlier was these two things didn't cannibalize each other. They actually propelled each mm -hmm. other. And so you had people interested in both of these very diametrically opposed types of movies who... Wanted, first of all, AMC A-list, over 100,000 A-list members booked tickets to see both on opening weekend. But at the same time, you got people going to see Barbie, like I said, who were probably going to go see Oppenheimer next. Couldn't get in to see Barbie. So it's like, okay, we'll go see Oppenheimer now and probably are going to see Barbie next week. And, and a lot of people who did get in to see Barbie that are probably planning on next seeing Oppenheimer. So you're going to see these numbers. Well, again, I, I'm not saying that I think Barbie's going to pass you know, Mario Brothers as the number one film of the year. Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't think it's going to do. I don't think it's going to have that. It's not a family film. It's not going to have that same kind of legs. I mean, it's a family film to a degree, but it's not like a Mario Brothers. But I, I, you're going to 
these movies are both going to make a lot of money, especially for the types of movies they are. I was going to tell Jonathan, when we're at our Oppenheimer uh, screening, right? We're into it, like 10 minutes into it, like the movie starting, and it's quiet. It's like a quiet movie, like in the beginning. These Barbie enthusiasts come walking in, and they're sitting right behind us, but they were all like, pinked out with oh, like yeah. little bells and chimes like attached. So in this quiet movie, in the it's like ding, 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 <laughs> ding, going up the steps. It's just funny. It's because it's like, oh my God. What's going I hear y'all on? got a movie in here. Our movie's closed out. It's a cl- <laughs> clashing of two different types of worlds, man. It's, it is, it's great though. I, I love it. You know what? Going back about a month or so ago when we were, or maybe a month and a half, two months ago, we were looking forward to this stretch of movies that we have not had in years. Right. It's ever since the pandemic started, we have gone years without having like week after week after week of of anticipated movie, anticipated movie, anticipated movie, anticipated movie. And and really it's been a long time since we've had a weekend like this. So it's it's a great time to me to be a movie fan. And again, I mean, I think Oppenheimer is is the clearly superior movie, but it's great that this kind of success is happening to two really good, high quality movies. Um, you know, Barbie's not going to end up in my top five of the year or anything, but I, it's a thoroughly smart, thoroughly entertaining, really good little movie. I've loved every single movie I've seen since Quantum Mania. Like, I didn't see Fast X, so I didn't have to suffer through that. But Haunted Mansion coming this Thursday. Do not. Please don't break the streak. Break my streak, for real. Okay. Um, and going, uh, can you look up Oppenheimer on Rotten Tomatoes? Yeah. I've got Barbie right now. Check this out. I mean, this this two movies opening on the same weekend, big, huge financial successes both. This one, ninety percent. Actually, look, the the critics and the audience scores are exactly the same. Critic score ninety percent, audience score ninety percent. Same, same here with Oppenheimer, ninety four percent critic and audience. And critic and audience. So we're seeing like the critics and the audiences both completely align on both of these movies. So it's great that it's not just some crappy movie that, man, eh, if we're going to go see movie miles, no, no, it's two really high quality movies. Good on both of them. And it's great to see that kind think, of success. Just think about the statistical odds that Oppenheimer would be a 94, 94 and Barbie would be a 90 and 90, a 90. 90 yeah. with all the votes. All I know That's is, almost impossible. All I know is my neighbors who never go to the movies, they're going to go watch Oppenheimer today. So hopefully they enjoy it. Yeah. And, and your sister, my wife off to see Barbie today, I think if uh-huh. she's, if she can get a hold of your sister. So, <laughs> all right, guys, with that down, let's go now over to your questions. That's why we're here to hear from you guys. We're going to start off with the question sent into our tip link. So what do we got up here first? <laughs> Garden Variety Vagabond writes, John, have you seen the U.S. professional sports team have jumped on the Barbenheimer wagon posting social media players in pink and black outfits? You have to be more specific than U.S. professional sports yeah, team. Yeah, I haven't noticed. I've, yeah. Uh, but hey, listen, everybody's jumping on... <laughs> The Barbenheimer train, my friends. It's a train with lots of room for everybody. Jump on board. All right, what's next? Uh, Mean writes, uh, let's pretend J.R.R. Martin finished uh, the last uh, a Song of Ice and Fire in 2030. At that time, would it be a good idea to reboot Game of Thrones now that the story is completed? No. No, the story is completed. Mm-hmm. And the, the look, and the reality <laughs> is, it is a tiny fraction of the people who watched Game of Thrones to the people who read Game of Thrones. I mean, I mean that I, I'm, I'm, I'm not bashing the books at all in any, but that is a statistical fact, yeah. right? It is only a small fraction of the people who watched the show had actually read the book. So no, I don't think they rebooted it at all. All right, what's next? 
What, um, what do we got, Ray? I'm just looking at it, it. It's true. Like the Cleveland Browns, their the their lighting is all pink right now since they're not playing right now. So they have the stadium lit up in pink. Um, there's a bunch of uh, players that are wearing pink just coming into the locker room. I don't I don't know if this is current. everybody's jumping on that Barbie train. All right, what's next? All right, uh, I mean, writes it here. Have you seen Regal's bumper before the movie with the movie quotes? Uh, after listening to it, I'll personally take watching uh, the Nicole Kidman bumper any day. I did because uh, what was I in a Regal? She for? thanks you. <laughs> oh no, we just saw Barbie in a Regal, didn't we? That's where we saw Barbie was in a Regal. Yeah, um, it's uh, look, it's like the Nicole Kidman ad. It's not bad the first one or two times you see it, but then it gets real tired real fast. And again, you're just advertising to try to get people to do something they're already doing. Come to a Regal Theater. We're sit. What the fuck do you think we're doing? We're sitting in a Regal Theater. No, but come and sit in one. <laughs> but I, I swear, like I've said it a million times, and I'll say it again because it is true. It's like trying to get a girl to read your uh, what's the big dating website. Tinder, uh, Tinder, Tinder, whatever. It's like trying to get a get a girl to read your Tinder profile while you're in the middle of having sex with her. It, it makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense. So anyway, all right, what's next? All right, Anonymous writes, hey, John, box office pros projecting opening weekend. For, oh, this is because this is on Thursday. Right. Uh, weekend from 140 and to 175, but saying 158. Oppenheimer is opening at 52 to 72. If this is true, these are both big wins for the studio and bring on the Barbie. Yeah, so like the projections forever was eighty-five to one hundred million dollars. It was like last minute when the advanced ticket sales started to get added up. The box office pro changed their projections. And, and listen, that's what you do when new information becomes available. You change your you change your forecast. But yeah, it was absolutely crazy how 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 much bigger people responded this way. It does remind me a lot of Mario Brothers because remember we put out that video probably about a month before Super Mario came out, where I said. Listen, guys, the number one film of the year is going to be Mario Brothers. And, and, but nobody else thought that, like nobody else in the world. And then I was part of the group that didn't think Barbie, like I thought Barbie would be a hit. I did not think it could get 150 million. I really didn't. And uh, so it's the same kind of thing that we had with Mario the Brothers. Hype. The hype, it's my the friend. The brand and the hype. All right, what's next? Einstein is jealous, writes, uh, <laughs> <laughs> love your show and loved Oppenheimer. If there's a benefit from the SAG strike, it is having numerous lengthy interviews with Nolan as a director, writer, extremely interesting, and just shows that he is indeed one of the best working today. Um, uh, and to see his dedication to the art form and respect for the audience is truly incredible to quote him. The film's not finished until it goes to the audience. For me, it's the audience who finishes the films. Bravo, sir. Cheers. You know, I've heard Christopher Nolan talk about that before. And what one of the things he said, like by the audience finishes the film, is that the audience you are with is a part of your viewing experience. And I got to tell you, like Ray was talking about how the movie starts, and it's like dead silent in the theater. That was a part of the experience of watching that movie. Mm. And then like when, this isn't spoiling anything because they show clips of it in the trailer, when, you know, the nuclear blast goes off, the tension you felt in that room, the audience does complete the movie. But Christopher Nolan is like Christopher Nolan, um, uh, Quentin Tarantino, Martin Scorsese. I mean, there's a number of these high profile filmmakers, especially Christopher Nolan, who is just 100% dedicated to the theatrical experience. 
That's where movies are supposed to live. That's where movies are supposed to be experienced. That's where the absolute best experience watching a movie is. And he's 100% right. And, you know, it is a shame that you, with a cast like this, where you've got Florence Pugh and you've got uh, Matt Damon and Killian Murphy and Robert Downey Jr. And you got a cast like this and they can't be out there you know, promoting the film. That's unfortunate, but at least you got a guy like Christopher Nolan who can do it. The buzz, the, as soon as that movie ended and the claps we heard was unforgettable. Oh, yeah. It was just a power. Everybody sharing that experience. Yeah, you could feel it. Feel it in the air. All right, what's next? Uh, anonymous writes, when Nintendo was failing during the Wii U era, the executives took 50 to 75% pay cuts in order to ensure no employee was fired. Why can't Igor or Zaslav or the other executives learn to take a little less in order to make things better for their employees? What employees? I mean, like, here's the thing. It's it's about business model, right? It's about a business model. The model had to change. See, like, it's not like the situation with uh, Nintendo where the model was right. We're just struggling right now. If we can persevere and get through this, then we'll be fine. That's not the same thing. The studio, the like, for instance, in the case of Disney, which realized, which announced... A long time ago that they were going to be doing, I think it was what, what was it, 7%? Or I can't remember what the number, something like that. A a certain percentage of layoffs, right? That was a result of not about a struggling time. It was that the model had to change. They had a big merger with Fox. They had done, which they always said there was going to be more redundancy and more layoffs were going to be done. All that kind of stuff. Same thing that we saw with Discovery merging in with Max. There's going to be redundancy, and over time, there were going to be layoffs. Their models had to change. It's not like Nintendo merged with another video game company and then just decided to keep everybody. If Nintendo had merged with another video game company, they would have been doing some massive layoffs because a lot of jobs would have been redundant, not to mention their entire business model was different than what Disney was shifting from. So it's not the same thing. And and, and by the way... I'm all for, like we hear sometimes about certain CEOs decide like, I'm going to take a $1 salary this year. I mean, that's always great. That's that's awesome. But at the end of the day, the 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 amount of money that needs to be made up for with the model shift, it, we're talking in the double digits of billions. So even if a, say a David Zaslav or a Tompkins or an Iger or something like that were to come out and say, we're going to take a, a $1 salary this year, it wouldn't make any difference. Like back in the Nintendo era, that's all they needed. But what we're talking about in these model shifts, you're talking about literally double digits of billions of dollars that have to be accounted for. And even if the CEOs were to say, I'm going to take no salary for the next four years, it actually wouldn't make a difference in the world. So there's that. All right, what's next? Uh, Broadway Geeky writes, hey gang, is there a show that used to be popular uh, that you love and no one talks about it anymore, but you you still do? Uh, mine is Boardwalk Empire, started it this year, and I'm obsessed. I didn't know Steve Buscemi could do drama. I want him in more. Yeah, I, I love Boardwalk Empire. I, I kind of fell out of love with it a little bit in its last one, one and a half seasons. But actually, it's one of the first things I thought of when I saw Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. Because the lead government guy was Steve Buscemi's brother in Boardwalk Empire. And I was like, this is the guy from Boardwalk Empire. I I don't know the actor's name. Mm -hmm. I wish I knew the name. But no, Boardwalk Empire, at least for the first couple of seasons, was all kind of banger good. Like really, really, really good. All right, what's next? 
Uh, Ethan Hogate writes, wow, guys, Oppenheimer was truly fascinating. Nolan truly did an amazing job with his story. Um, I thought it was a brilliant decision to have all the dialogue scenes done very fast cut and, and, uh, the movie would be five hours. Otherwise, LOL, a bunch of Oscars for this film. You know, I mentioned a little bit earlier that one of the most, one of the biggest signs that Christopher Nolan is truly coming into the height of his powers as a storyteller is that Oppenheimer is a movie that jumps back and forth between time periods. You know, go to this time period, back to this time, back to that other time period, into another time period, blah. But this, it flows so naturally and it feels so smooth. And a part of that is the cadence of the dialogue, understanding what lines need to be said, what don't, how to pace those out, all that kind of stuff. It There was just a kinetic energy to the movie. In a movie that I said in my out-of-theater uh, reaction was, this is a movie that doesn't have a single punch thrown, yet it's thrilling. You're on the edge of your seat when somebody's walking from one room to another room just to say something to somebody. I mean, that is just what Christopher Nolan's been able to put together here, and it's absolutely remarkable. All right, what's next? Dangerous D, are there any DC movies that are coming in 2024? I thought Superman Legacy was coming next year, but it's not. No, Superman Legacy isn't until 2025. There are no... Uh, DC, either DCEU or DCU movies coming in 2024. Unless there is a story going around right now that they are contemplating bumping Aquaman again mm. from its late 2023 date into 2024. Now, that's uh, they're saying that's a result. The same thing uh, is they're saying about uh, Dune because it is a big deal to them that you got to have your stars able to go out and promote the film. And like we were just talking about Oppenheimer, big open, yeah, yeah, yeah. But op, but the actor strike just started like a little while ago. They were doing a lot of promotion for Oppenheimer before, you know, they got close to the release date. With this, you got to have Jason Momoa out there stumping for this movie because I tell you what, the DCU has not had a movie that's made even four hundred million dollars in the last five years. So Aquaman, which I believe will make more than four hundred million dollars. But Aquaman is going to struggle and you need every single benefit you can get and put out there. Jason Momoa is your big star. You got to have him out there. By the way, have you seen the commercials with him promoting Shark Week? Yeah. Jason Momoa is like the, the narrator, the face man for Shark Week on Discovery this year. So his relationship with Warner Brothers is very good, but you want him out there doing that. And he can't do that while there's a writer's strike or while there's an actor strike going on. So there is a possibility we may get a DCEU moving 2024, but it'll be one that was supposed to come out in 2023. Have you seen that preview of the, the, the scientists or whatever inside, like they created like a whale, a big whale, and they're in the stomach, like a glass... They made like I have a glass, no idea what we're talking about. Like a, for Shark Week. Oh, no, no. They no. have like a fake whale, or I think it's an inflatable whale, but then the stomach area, it's glass. So the, the swimmers are in there just trying to get close to sharks. Was that, was, did I see that or was I dreaming? It sounds like somebody a Saturday Night Live sketch. Somebody tell me if that's real or <laughs> was not. That, wait, but was that real or was I dreaming? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, what it's like to have daily conversations yeah, with Ray. Yeah, yeah, I, no, yeah. I, honest, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen that. So I maybe it was a dream you know, of yours. I'm going to look it up. I'm going to look it up. Some King Daddy goes saying, Ray, are you high? No. <laughs> all right, what's next? Uh, Sam Fisher writes, the SAG strike and all this talk of residuals just reminded me of that story, I think pre-pandemic, where a guy recognized one of the baggers at his uh, grocery store as a recurring actor on a sitcom 30 to 40 years ago. Do you remember the story? Yeah, I do. He was uh, He was on the Cosby show. 
It was uh, Jeffrey Owens was his name. Oh, I he, never. Yeah, I don't I, think I've ever heard that story. That's that. interesting. Mm -hmm. oh, all right. Okay. What's next? Um, I never thought about it before. Or Sam Fisher writes, I never thought about it before, but the Dark Knight trilogy is very Bond-esque. Uh, Bruce is obviously Bond. Lucius is Q. Alfred is M. The elaborate Bond villain uh, schemes of Roz, Joker, and Bane. The globe-trotting nature of the series, etc. I honestly don't I mean, know. Bond if, is a lot of adventure films. Yeah, but I, I honestly don't know if who came first, Bond or Batman? Oh, Batman. Yeah. Well, like, you mean in the world of, yeah, Batman. I mean, it, at all. Like, yeah, who, yeah, yeah. who was creative? I, I don't know. I can't yeah. remember what year. Bond was created in the 50s, but Batman was in the 30s. Okay, so like Batman, like, I, and I don't know how, like, at what year did Alfred come along? At what year did, but right. First I mean, yeah, you're right. There's a little bit of a model there for that. I was also just watching something that was comparing two other things. Oh, it's going to bug me now for the for the rest of it. But yeah, but but by the way, Bond and Batman aren't the only ones that have that kind of model either. I mean, you you could look at a lot of other different things, but actually that's a pretty neat comparison. I like that. That's that's some good insight. Well, this is real. This is real. Oh, the whale thing? <laughs> it's called Belly of the Beast Feeding Frenzy. They use a decoy, a whale, and uh, a scientist hides inside the stomach while the sharks attack it. <laughs> How... It's for science. It's for science. It's for science. The guy even said he's he 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 was driving because it sounds it like a jackass stunt more than it sounds like for science. It sounds like a nightmare. Ladies and gentlemen, this is glass stomach and a whale. No, 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 no. Okay. All right, what's next? Sam Fisher writes, I finally finished the Baron while season two, episode six is excellent. Episode seven is even better. I love that Richie finds his purpose, and I don't know about you, but I think Oliver Platt should win the Emmy for best um, guest actor in a comedy. He's great as Uncle Jimmy. I saw that he was nominated for best guest actor, but I am confused about the rules because I was under the impression that best guest actor meant you appeared in one episode. He's in more than one episode. I, I, he's a recurring character. No, he's not in as regularly as a lot of the other characters, but I, 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 I need somebody from the Television Academy to explain to me the parameters of guest appearance because, you know, when you look at Ron Swanson in episode three of Last of Us, that is a one-episode appearance, right? It's a guest appearance. He's in the show, and then he's gone. Oliver Platt, who I adore, I've, I've loved him ever since he did Kiefer Sutherland's Three Musketeers movie, but... I I just don't see him as a guest appearance, but someone's got to explain the rules to me. All right, what's next? Uh, Sam Fisher writes, if I posted to social media to watch Blank Show because I want to get another season or because it's really good and I'm not being paid and I'm not an influencer and I wasn't contacted by a studio and I may want to become a screenwriter and join the WGA, is that promoting? No. No, because... No. You're just doing the average thing that the average person does all the yeah. time. There's nothing about that. You are not, like, it's different saying, hey, man, I'm looking forward to seeing this show. That's one thing as compared to I've booked an appearance on Jimmy Kimmel to go and talk about this movie. And promote. Like, they're, they are two different things. So, no, you're, you're, you're <laughs> fine. If you hope to one day be in SAG or the WGA, you're fine to jump on Twitter and write whatever you want. You're okay. All right, what's next? Uh, Hitchcock is the goat writes, uh, wow, what a weekend, big win for WB and bar with Barbie. But can you imagine the, what ifs going on in the WB offices? They could have been behind both of these movies this weekend. Zazav needs to start begging again. Uh, get Christopher Nolan, Pizza Hut and not Domino's. Um, by the way, Domino's is disgusting. Oh, 
I guess I just lost our chances of ever having Domino's as a sponsor of the show, but eh, Domino's is so disgusting. Ninja Turtles are with Pizza Hut anyways. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Need you Domino's. I mean, um, except later. <laughs> here's the thing, but but it's you can't ask the what ifs because this Warner Brothers are not the ones who lost Christopher Nolan. It was a different Warner Brothers a lot. It was the AT&T Warner Brothers under the leadership of Jason Kalar. When Jason Kalar was the CEO there and AT&T owned it, it was a completely different group. So if you're David Zaslav and the current ownership of WB, you can't play the what if game because that was somebody else. That was somebody else that did that. Now, for those of you who don't know what he's talking about, Jason Kalar, under the AT&T era of Warner Brothers, made the most monumentally stupid, <laughs> idiotic decision ever made in the history of entertainment. You know, they, if you wish you were in the room to slap him the side of the head and said, what the fuck are you actually thinking? When Jason Kalar, CEO of Warner Brothers, decided, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take all of our movies that are supposed to come out this year and we're just going to dump them on HBO Max day and date. Yeah, that's a great idea. They didn't tell their financial partners a legendary. They didn't tell one of their filmmakers. that That's exactly, that's the perfect image. They didn't tell uh, their filmmakers. They didn't tell any of them that were going to do that. And like Denis Villeneuve, like good Canadian, even keel kid, he wrote this op-ed piece that just eviscerated Warner Brothers for doing that because they they screwed over his Dune movie. And Christopher Nolan, I can't remember if it was him or Denis Villeneuve who said, I went to bed working for the best movie studio and I woke up working for the worst streaming company. I think that was Christopher Nolan. Yeah. Nolan. Christopher Nolan just put out, put out his own op-ed, eviscerating thing, and he was like, that's it. I'm never working with you morons again. W and that's when he left WB to go to Universal. WB seemed to be so reactionary without even thinking about the consequences of their actions back then. Look, here's the thing. And they compounded stupid mistake with stupid mistake. Because number one, they made the stupid decision in the first place. They said, let's go day and date. And then their second stupid thing was they announced it without talking to Legendary, and Legendary ended up suing them for it without talking to their filmmakers. So literally Christopher Nolan, Denis Villeneuve, all these filmmakers woke up one morning and went and read about it in the paper. So he destroyed his relationship with these, with the talent, with the filmmakers and all that kind of stuff, destroyed his relationship with their co-financing partners, destroyed all their relationships. Now, that's one of the reasons why the first thing that David Zaslav and the new ownership of Warner Brothers came out and said is, we are a theatrical first company. Yes, we're going to make things for Max and all that kind of stuff, but we are first and foremost a theatrical company. We are going to be about our talent. We're going to be about giving our talent the best filmmaking experience they can, blah, 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 right? And that's why, remember we did stories like Christopher Nolan, David Zaslav were seen having lunch together and all that kind of stuff. Listen, they may or may not be able to get Christopher Nolan back. He might be very happy right now at Universal, but that's not something Warner Brothers right now can worry about because it wasn't them that lost him. It was the other guys that lost him. All right, what's next? Hitchcock is the goat, writes, um, even though newer characters are in Secret Invasion, I believe the main core story is a continuation of where Captain Marvel ended, not where Iron Man began. So if there weren't any Avengers in Captain Marvel, why would we expect them in Secret Invasion? And I mean, it's, it's one of my ongoing complaints about the shared cinematic universe in the audience. 
when you have these shared cinematic universe, every time there's something, everybody asks, why didn't Thor show up? Why didn't Iron Man show up? Why didn't Doctor Strange show up? Because it's not a Doctor Strange show. It's Secret Invasion. I, I don't disagree with you. This really is a continuation of Captain Marvel. A and again, a degradation now, I'm liking Secret Invasion. Don't get me wrong. I am enjoying it. I don't think it's great, but I'm enjoying it. But Marvel, the, the, the brilliance of Marvel used to be that there were never any prerequisites for watching a new Marvel title, right? Every new Marvel project that came out for 10 years was a valid entry point for a brand new fan. You didn't have to watch anything before it to be able to watch it and get it. That's changed now. And Secret Invasion, unfortunately, is one of those. Like, if you didn't watch Captain Marvel, you have no idea what the F is going on in this show. Right? And so, while I am enjoying this show, it's a thumbs-up show for me. It's not great, but it's good. Uh, but it's another one of those things where it's it's a prerequisite show. There, You have homework you have to do before being able to watch it, and Marvel was never like that before. All right, what's next? Okay, we've got a link, one of two. To me, Oppenheimer felt like a collage of incomplete scenes strung together over an e event weakened by what seemed like an unfocused narrative. Uh, you were one of the one out of 10 critics, weren't you? I also <laughs> felt like the actors were robbed of the chance to really flesh out their scenes because each scene was cut short. I felt like Lincoln did a better job of dramatizing an important event around a central figure with a complete and cohesive story. Other than that, the acting was wonderful, and I agree that R.E.J. may get an Oscar nom. Listen, the beautiful thing about movies, Link, is that it hits us all in different ways. It's all subjective, and that if that's the way it hit you, that's the way it hit you. You're neither right nor wrong. That's the way it hit you. I got to tell you, though, that my experience was very different from yours. I found that the characters and the important elements of the characters were all fleshed out to the point where carrying it on longer would have been unnecessary. I found the flow and the pace of the film was had a perfect cadence to it. It, it was the shortest three hours. Uh, listen, I said almost the same thing about Avatar 2, that, hey, man, that was a real quick three hours. This was the fastest three hours I think I've ever experienced in a movie theater. Not that this is the best three-hour movie I've ever seen. I'm just saying the way the cadence of the movie, the pace of the movie, while accomplishing everything it needed to do. Um, so again, all due respect to your experience of the film, we all have unique experiences. That's great. I'm just telling you my personal experience of the film was very different from yours. All right, what's next? Okay, Zach, pasta sauce, Walter. Pasta sauce! <laughs> Oppenheimer was so close at $7 million left to get. <laughs> To 100 domestically for both Barbie and Oppenheimer to domestically get 100 million uh, on the same opening weekend, something that has never happened before, but both made that worldwide, which is awesome. No, it was. Uh, it would have been 90 if it, it was made seven more. 17 million off, yeah, not, not seven. 7 million off. Yeah, listen, it has never happened before. If I read it correctly in Variety. I it everywhere, there's nothing. There's yeah. nothing that comes up for that. What I read in Variety was this is the first time a movie. That one movie opened to over $100 million and another movie made over $50 million. Which, I mean, I don't know if they're wrong, but that is a stunning statistic. Mm. That this is the first time ever that a movie's made over $100 million and another movie made over 50. Like, that's crazy. And, and, and to top that fact, I looked up the biggest head-to-head -head, uh, opening movies. 
And uh, there was a, uh, I forgot what website, they had a list of them. None can compare to how big these two movies are. So, yeah, so that, it's it crazy. is literally a weekend we have never seen before. Yeah. We have never seen a weekend like this before. It's crazy. Again, the movie industry needed it. Warner Brothers needed it. Universal needed it. The fans needed it. Um, and hopefully this will lead to some big momentum for some Turtles action. Yeah, but the closest thing was Mamma Mia versus, it opened up against, I think, a Nolan movie. Uh, was it Dark Knight? Yeah, Night? I remember somebody wrote in. Was and it Dark Knight? No, I think it was Dark Knight. Yeah, so it, that was the biggest one out of that whole list. That and I what was, look it up, what was the opening weekend for the first Mamma Mia? Uh, first Mamma Mia, I got you. But go, you was go that on. over or under 50 million? Because I, I remember the Variety, the Variety article saying no film. No weekend had a movie open over 100 with another uh, movie making over 50. We missed our opportunity for Mama Night. 27 million. 27? Okay. Was that Mama, is that the first Mama Mia Mama or the Mia second Mia 2008. Movie? Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. What's next? All right. Uh, Millie Horshey writes, I think Oppenheimer was the better movie, but Barbie had the better experience. Crew, do you agree with that or no? I, I thought Oppenheimer was the better movie and was the better experience. Um, but, but listen, don't get me wrong. I, I am... Look... I enjoyed Barbie way more than I ever would have thought I would. Like, again, it, it was a smart, um, reflective, existential kind of film that I was not expecting. And, and you guys know, if you've watched the show for any period of time, you know, I was like, I don't care about Barbie or whatever. It's about, it's about a toy, whatever. But then some of the, the, the presentation of CinemaCon won me over. And they started to legitimately look forward to it, but... Again, it's not going to end up being in my top five films of the year or anything like that, but it's very, very good. To me, Oppenheimer was the better movie in almost every way. The one way that Barbie was better was it's uh, obviously it's a funnier film. You know, there's there's a it's a brighter film. It's a brighter film, <laughs> but I mean, even then, in this brighter film, there's Barbie is asking herself a lot and, and contemplating death throughout the film. And the, the ending of her own existence and stuff like that, which gets kind of heavy. But yes, you're right. It's a brighter film. It's a lighter film. It's a funnier film. Shorter film. It's a shorter <laughs> film, significantly shorter film. But overall, yeah, to me, Oppenheimer was the better overall experience, the better overall movie. You can't pass up both movies. Everyone's got to see each one of them. I think, yeah. I think At least you, once. You know, I think you owe it to yourself to watch both of them. Yeah. I, I really do. I, I can't guarantee you'll like both of them, but I think you owe it to yourself to at least check them out. All right, what's next? Uh, sorry, Miss Girl. Sir Alex Ferguson writes just a heads up. John, Man United play Real Madrid less than 24 hours after they play Wrexham. So you're likely to see youngsters in reserves against Wrexham. I recommend checking United's website for squads for the game. I'm sorry, you've confused me for somebody who cares. Yeah, he just <laughs> for the experience. I, I'm just going for I mean, I I I get into soccer during World Cup time, and I'm a real big fan of the Welcome to Wrexham series. I, I'm just going to get to go see Wrexham, support Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney, uh, get, go see this team that I've watched, you know, on on their Hulu series. You better know all their chances. And hey, I, and I know about, I, I know, not about, I know of Manchester United. So it's pretty cool that they're playing probably the world's most famous soccer team. But I, I'm not going to be facetious and I'm not going to be a poser. I, I'm not a soccer fan in general. Football. World Cup time. I'll get into. I'll, pu I'll pull out my Italian flag or my Canadian flag, whatever the case may be at the time. But other than that, I I'm not going to mislead anybody and pretend like I'm a soccer fan. I'm not. All right, what's next? Football is life. Football is life. <laughs> Donnie Rojas. Okay, what's next? My, uh, Milo Hunterbrunz writes, uh, Hey, John, what was your favorite press screening movie experience when you did press screenings? The first, uh, the first Avengers movie. Mm. 
again, you're sit. I'm sitting in this theater, which was the uh, El Capitan Theater in Hollywood. El Capitan. I'm sitting in this theater with a bunch of jaded, bitter film critics watching this advanced screening of this comic book movie. And the amount of hooting and hollering and cheering coming from this grumpy, jaded group of people was amazing. And I remember walking out of that theater and like shaking. Like I, I, I just, you gotta understand, it's been a lot of years since that first Avengers movie came out. And I can understand a lot of people forgetting. But that was like nothing we had ever seen before when that movie came out, man. Like, and it's still, I still consider it to this day the best comic book movie ever made. Um, and, it, and the experience it was at that time, like, and everything else that's been done great since it is just building on what Avengers did. Like, I don't care if you love Age of Ultron or Infinity War or Endgame or, or whatever, all of it is just built on what Avengers did. And uh, that was probably my most fun uh, press experience. All right, what's next? Okay, Abigail Snowden writes, Hey, Ray, who is your favorite of the four Ninja Turtles? Oh, Michael Michelangelo, for sure. Yeah. And then second would be Leonardo. Mm. Yeah, that, that's been my always my favorite. In the last Ronin, who's the only one that survived? Michelangelo. Is it Michael was it Michelangelo? Or, or Raphael? Raphael? I don't know. It's one or the other, but I, I think it's Michelangelo. It Michelangelo. Wow, okay. All right, what's next? Okay, Sam Fisher writes, uh, they just announced at SDCC that after 18 years, they're finally releasing the soundtrack for Avatar The Last Airbender. <laughs> I'm so happy Avatar has, I think, one of the best TV and animated scores soundtracks. I honestly couldn't. You know, I really enjoyed, like, I finally got around to watching Avatar The Last Airbender, the show, when the pandemic hit. And I, I quite enjoyed it. I liked yeah, you it. Did. I was shocked. Yeah, I, I was shocked too that I really quite but enjoyed this guy, it. Yeah, you watch cartoons. <laughs> but I don't, I couldn't tell you, I don't remember a single note of any of the soundtrack. So, I, I mean, but I think that's too, especially with Netflix getting ready to launch their live action stuff. So that'll be, that's pretty cool. All right, what's next? All right, that's it for. Um tips. All right, then why don't we take a second here and thank a couple of sponsors of today's episode of Open Mic. My mobile service provider, his team Wrexham is playing Manchester United today. Uh, our good friends over at Mint Mobile and the people who have saved my backside several times, Rocket Money. We want to thank a sponsor of this video, Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, your utility bills and favorite streaming services, inflation is everywhere. Seriously, make it stop. Thankfully, there's one company out there that's giving you a much needed break. It's Mint Mobile. As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you order from home and save a ton with phone plans starting at just $15 a month. You guys know that ever since I switched to Mint Mobile, I've been saving almost 70% a month over my old phone plan. For people looking Looking for extra savings this year? Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just $15 a month. By going online only and eliminating the traditional cost of retail, Mint Mobile passes the significant savings on to you. All of their plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just $15 a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash campia. That's mintmobile.com slash campia. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia. 
We want to take a second to thank a sponsor of this video, Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. And for me, Rocket Money has been a godsend. I've told you the story before about how I found out that I was still paying a gym membership from when I was still living in Burbank, California, two years ago. And just recently, I had completely forgotten that I was subscribed to multiple music services with different apps. Rocket Money identified the ones I was using and help me cancel my subscriptions super easy. And I'm not alone. Over 80% of people have subscriptions that they've completely forgotten about. And chances are you're one of them. Like that Stars app you use just to watch one show or that free gaming trial that you never got around to canceling. Rocket Money will quickly and easily find your subscriptions for you. And for any that you don't want to pay for anymore, just hit cancel and Rocket Money will cancel it for you. It's that easy. Rocket Money also helps you manage all your finances in one place and automatically categorize your expenses. So you can easily track your budget in real time and also get alerted if anything looks off. So stop throwing your money away. Cancel unwanted subscriptions and manage your expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash campia. That's rocketmoney.com slash campia. Rocketmoney.com slash campia. And thank you to our friends at Mint Mobile and Rocket Money for sponsoring this episode. All right, guys, with that down, let's get over to your live super chats that you guys watching live have been sending in. Jonathan, what do we got? couple of tech questions from Luke1234. Uh, between your spec'd out PC, Mac Studio Ultra, or MacBook Pro, which gave you the best streaming experience when you did live shows? Um, well, I use, uh, for, for our main, for open mic, like what we're using right now, we use a PC. I have a, a pretty decked out uh, PC that Jonathan uses, and that's what we use. And what we got in there? Uh, we got a, a 380, right? We got uh, an NVIDIA yeah, 380, 380 video card. Mm -hmm. We got a 16-core AMD processor. Mm -hmm. We've got 64 megs of RAM. It might be more. I might be 128. Or we might have put 128 in that yeah. one. Yeah. With, uh, you know, SSD, hard drive, stuff. Like, it's all spec'd out. I use a Mac Studio on my desk. And when I'm, like, live streaming either, like, uh, Ask John Anythings or when I live stream open mics myself in there, that's what I use. I, I think the PC we have probably does the more solid job of live stream, partially because on the Mac Studio, I have to use, like, uh, like an Elgato uh, link, like a, like a USB HDMI capture for the cameras. Whereas with the PC, we literally have this really good expensive uh, video HDMI capture card that's yeah, put internal. right into the PC. We can handle multiple streams like that. So, well, don't get me wrong. The, the Mac Studio, first of all, I love that freaking computer. Uh, but for live streaming, it does a perfectly good job. But I think, you know, this PC, which we specifically designed mm. for the purpose of live streaming, probably does the better job overall. Especially with that. multiple camera angles. Yeah, especially when we got like six different cameras hooked up to it. All right, what's next? Okay, and then his uh, follow-up is, what software do you use for the box office charts with the blue and white lines? It's a software that we pay for. It's called Rayora. Yes, the Rayora software. Rayora 4.0, still yeah. in beta. Yeah. Those um, are just, yeah. It's Photoshop. Yeah, it's fo yeah, Photoshop, Photoshop images. Ray, yeah, Ray does all those graphics. Like, like a lot of people, when I talk about, those graphics take a lot of people a lot of time. Ray, I just come in, I say, hey, Ray, I need a chart showing the opening weekend box office of the last five Margot Robbie movies. 
Boom. And he he generates these images and these graphics. Uh, he does them all from scratch. He designs the templates himself and uh, puts it all together. As soon as you start, if you're going to be streaming, as soon as you start uh, realizing what you're going to talk about, like um, even like over and over, not over and over, but, you know, like you'll have templates that you'll be able to use that you'll save. You'll realize, oh, I should have saved that template. And this is from years of working with you, John. So like I have templates from way back then that I still use. Yeah. It's and we helpful. have like a shorthand too. Like as soon as I ask you for something, I can just say, hey, I need something like this. You know what I'm looking for. Yeah, yeah. Like that comes from years and of working together. If you see my folder, it's three list, four list, five list, six list, seven list, all the way up and to 10. And you designed all those templates. Yeah, yeah, all yeah. the way up to 10. So when John says, give me the top three for something, the top four, I'll, I just open up that template and just fill it in with the subject matter. So Right, but I'm, but you're constantly designing yeah. new ones yeah, all yeah, the yeah, time because yeah. yeah. I'm always so, throwing new things at you. Right, right. Yeah, so Ray is basically our own built-in AI system. <laughs> so I, and other than that, it's just Photoshop. Photoshop right, so is what Photoshop. Ray uses. That's his tool of choice. All right, what's next? All right, Super Saney 13 writes, Hi all, loved Oppenheimer last Friday in IMAX. Really thought-provoking at the end. I was especially looking forward to it as a studied physics at university. I'll tell you what, it, it is a movie that both renews your belief in humanity Ooh, and no. makes you scared as hell at the stupidity of humanity. Oh, yeah, I felt so disgusting afterwards. All, all at the same time. Yeah. Right? Like, all at the same time. And I, I don't want to talk about the specific reasons why, in case you haven't seen the movie yet. But it, it's one that fills you with hope and fear <laughs> all at the same time. And, like, you know, the whole movie is summed up by, there's a quick clip of it in a trailer. But there's this scene where Einstein is walking away from Oppenheimer by a lake. And there's this look of despair on Einstein's face. And that kind of sums up the experience of Oppenheimer and what you're getting in that story. It's it's a remarkable achievement. Make sure you see it if you haven't seen it yet. All right, that's what's the shot next? right there. Yeah, right. and that's that's basically it. I mean, that's whoo. Like the, the uh, Nolan makes us feel like this several times in the movie, and then brings us up and then brings us back down. It's an incredible roller coaster. All right, what's next? Uh, Jedi Master writes, think on this for a second. Okay, I'll give you one second. Next year's Oscars could have Jack Black performing Peaches and Ryan Gosling performing I'm Just Ken, and I'd accept nothing less. You know, somebody else, one of our channel members wrote that in earlier today when we were doing uh, the John Campus Show podcast. I expect to see both. Listen, right now the Oscars is all about, they try to sneak in that idiotic idea for an Oscar category for best popular movie idiots but they have realized with the new leadership board and everything that they do want to lean into the more popular movies of the year to make the oscars not just a celebration of the five or four front runners for best picture but a celebration of the whole movie industry and what better way to do that than taking the opportunity by using the stupid musical numbers to, to put in some of the things that help celebrate the most popular things look mario's going to be the number one film of the year Barbie may end up being the number two, number three, or number four most biggest box office film of the year. You would be foolish not to take advantage of that at the Oscars and have, you know, Ryan Gosling performing the Ken song and absolutely Jack Black performing Peaches. Like, remember that one Oscar performance of Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper on stage singing uh, Out of the Shallows? Oh, yeah. You know, right? Mm -hmm. if you have to have the same piano in the same spot 
have Jack Black sitting there playing it, and have Lady Gaga sit on the piano beside him. That's <laughs> like from the Ninja Turtle movie, right? Re- yeah, that's exactly Out what it is. Out of the shadows. <laughs> Out of the shadows. <sighs> Secret of the universe. Out of the shadows. But no, you got to recreate that and have Jack, you got to make that the shining moment of the Oscars this year. All right, what's next? Richard K. writes, I like Val Kilm. Uh, Kilmer's Batman, I think he was underrated and should have done uh, more. I always get laughs when I say that, but I think the movie he was in is bad, not his portrayal. No, listen, I agree. There's actually a moment, and it's going to sound like a very simple moment, okay? But it's the moment that all those pre-Christopher Nolan movies, I thought was the best representation of Bruce Wayne. There's a scene after they thought Edward Nygma died where... Uh, Bruce is in one of the Wayne laboratories and he's talking to one of his execs and Bruce Wayne is like, I want full benefits for his family and blah, blah. And his exec is like, oh, but you know, Mr. Wayne, because it, it, I can't remember if they thought it was suicide or whatever, because of this, he doesn't qualify. And he's like, full benefits. I know that sounds like a very simple little throwaway kind of thing, but the way Kilmer portrayed it, I thought that one moment like was like the best representation of Bruce Wayne in all those pre-Christopher Nolan Batman films. I I actually thought it was a guess. It was a bad movie, but I, I really did like him as Batman. All right, what's next? Uh, Jedi Master's back. Saw Oppenheimer on Thursday at my local AMC and noticed that my seat was C- C4, <laughs> which is perfectly fitting for this film and because I'm the bomb. <laughs> yeah, that would be a little concerning to me. I don't yeah, think... <laughs> Yes, that's nice, good. Nice one. That, that's good. I like that. But yeah, that would be a little concerning to me. I probably would have just asked somebody if they want to switch seats. All right, what's next? Okay, Richard K. writes, with some of the films he does, like Equalizer, Training Day, Olympus Has Fallen, and so on, I'd love to see an Antoine Fuqua directed Bond movie. I think uh, he would do a good, great Bond movie. Uh, listen, Antoine Fuqua is just a solid director, right? Like, Again, I'm always reminded of that thing Kevin Feige told me when, when I asked him about, like, what made James Gunn, who has never done a high-budget, big thing, what made him the right guy to direct Guardians of the Galaxy? And Kevin Feige said, a good storyteller is a good storyteller. Antoine Fuqua has shown he can tell a great story and tell it across different genres. And look, is is Antoine Fuqua my top pick to, to do a Bond movie? No. But if they announced Antoine Fuqua was directing a Bond movie, I'd be all on board for it, 100%. I'd rather see Christopher Nolan... But I'd be all on board for an Antoine Fuqua one. Did they cancel his Scarface re- uh, reboot, or did they ever come through? I for- remember he was supposed yeah, to Yeah, no, no, Scarf- I remember that very clearly. I, I'm going to assume it got shelved, but I haven't thought about it in a long time. Mm. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's still alive at some, in some form. All right, what's next? Um, Orange Hand writes, is Anna Dodgers fan? Because I heard their favorite, uh, their favorite is sign Otani. On that note, who do you consider to be the biggest signing in sports history? The biggest, biggest signing. signing in sports history. Did Gretzky stay with mainly the same team for a long time? No, or? see, but that wasn't a signing. Wayne Gretzky, who is the greatest. Look, I, say what you want. The statistics prove it. The stats all prove it. Wayne Gretzky is the most dominant professional athlete in the history of professional sports. Like the distance between his stats and everybody else's is far wider than the distance between MJ, between Brady, and the rest of his contemporaries. It was Wayne Gretzky here, everybody else down here. Wayne Gretzky is the greatest professional athlete ever to play anything. But he didn't get traded, or he didn't get signed. He got traded. 
the Edmonton Oilers did the unthinkable and traded Wayne Gretzky to the Los Angeles Kings for basically big bags of money. Um, and so that wasn't a signing. Ah, uh, man, I'll, I'll, as controversial and as kind of messed up as the way it was done, probably LeBron James going to Miami, taking his talents to South Beach. Like as badly as that whole thing was handled, that's, I mean, they literally did a live broadcast special. Mm -hmm. Remember that? They had a bunch of people in his ears, I bet. Yeah. He was young too. Yeah, he was younger and all that kind of stuff, but they they literally did a live broadcast event for for LeBron James to announce which team was going. So that's probably the biggest one. (laughs) As badly it was handled, that's That's probably the one it was. You know, King Daddy Goat in the live chat just said, Drew, it changed the landscape of the NBA. It, it did. It, it just, and no one's ever done it like that again, and they never will. All right, what's next? Brandon writes, Barbenheimer is now the fourth biggest weekend of all time, only behind the opening weekends of Endgame, Infinity War, Force Awakens. What lessons should studios learn from the historic weekend? Listen, I, I think it's going to be, and listen, there are going to be some studios that try to mimic and replicate what Barbenheimer was, and they're going to do it badly. But, There is a principle here of studios maybe even coordinating some of their efforts together to find synergy between certain projects. Because I think, I can't remember if it was uh, IndieWire or Deadline that wrote this. We We read this quote earlier from one of the major trades that said, these two movies didn't end up cannibalizing each other. They ended up helping each other. Because I guarantee you, Oppenheimer doesn't make $80 million this weekend if Barbie didn't open on the same weekend. And I guarantee you, Barbie doesn't make $155 million if Oppenheimer didn't open on the same weekend. They actually helped each other. Mm-hmm. In a way that we've never seen happen before. And I don't know what the actual takeaway from that is. I think it's going to take people far smarter than me to really boil. Like, there's going to be some people that try to oversimplify it. But the actual takeaways from this, they, there is takeaways there to be had. It's going to take some time to really do some analysis. But I think in the future, you're going to find some studios say, hey, look, we've got this movie that we're releasing next November. We see that you're releasing this movie next October. But we think that there could be some synergy between these two films. What say we find a release date that we release both of these at the same time and then start a campaign celebrating both movies and try to... You know, again, and I think you're going to see a lot of studios try something like that and do it badly, but I think there are some lessons to be taken away from this. It's, it's something that we haven't really seen I in the movies it. before. What's, what is I it? I got it. Okay. Turtles and what? Yeah. Just release movies that are over 90%. Come on. Yeah, that's it. Just that simple. Just relate over 90% movies on the same weekend and away you go. <laughs> All right. What's next? Uh, Chef Rigo. Chef Rigo. Rigo. Saw Oppenheimer last night in Limax. Still loved it. The Limax. And man, those bomb scenes hit different uh, when you're literally in front row. Whoa, front row. Great movie. I'll tell you what, man. The tension in the movie theater during the bomb scene. (laughs) My heart was beating so fast. It was like you could hear a pin drop in the theater. But if you waved your hand in the air, you could probably feel the tension in the air. Like, it, it was crazy the way they did that. Super great way. Like, just the way they did it was unbelievable. All right. What's next? 
Richard K has a few here. Uh, will we get a ride along three? Your thoughts? That's ride along, man. <laughs> was that, that a was, ride along too? That's Kevin. Yeah, they did yeah, do yeah. a ride along too. That was Kevin Hart and Ice Cube, right? Yeah. I think Kevin Hart might be beyond those movies now, so probably yeah. not. All right, what's next? Um, will we get a Taken Four? Your thoughts? No, that one's that. Right now, Liam uh, Neeson is doing like fifty Liam Neeson films a year, but I think the Taken one has been He's put Neeson to bed. All right, what's next? Will we get a Paul Paul Blart Mall Cop three? I didn't know there was two. There was there was a two, I believe. I like the idea of Paul Blart. You know, I like the idea of that as a comedy, just the whole premise. But I'm not sure the comedy actually worked out as good as I thought. It I could. really didn't think it did. Like I don't think it worked out because at all. The guy in a Segway, a big guy. Yeah, the premise yeah, is an interesting premise, yeah, but I don't I think mean, they executed laughable. a good movie around yeah. it. All right, what's next? And then finally, have you ever seen? The show Dog the Bounty Hunter. Oh, yeah. yeah. I saw one episode, because everybody talked about Dog the Bounty I watched one episode, and I thought, okay, I don't need to watch that again. <laughs> and then I, so I did see one episode. Did you see the South Park episode of it? No, Mark I Cartman did not. pretends to be him. Oh, no, really? And he's the hall monitor. <laughs> oh, I did see that where, one. Where the teacher is sleeping with the uh, Kyle's little baby is brother. Is that the one that, I might, maybe I'm thinking of the wrong way. Is that the one where Cartman said, you will respect my authority? Oh yeah. He is says that, it there too uh, okay, again, but okay. yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> All right. What's next? Big Cookie writes, just a thought, not a complaint. I love the Barbenheimer, but interesting to see Barbie had a PG-13 rating and Oppenheimer rated R. She thought Barbie brought a bit more filthy thoughts. It's also for subject matter though. Dude. A naked Florence Pugh is riding the shit out of somebody in this movie. Don't tell me Barbie brought the filthy more than Oppenheimer did. It did Yelena, not. what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, like, Yelena. What, now I got to turn that picture around. I'm so embarrassed here. <laughs> um, yeah, no, no. Barbie did not anywhere near bring the filthy as close. And, and Jonathan is right. It's also a matter of subject yeah. matter, right? Um, but yeah, make no mistake. Nothing in Barbie came remotely close to as filthy as things that happened in Oppenheimer. Make no mistake. All right. What's next? All right. Uh, Shuva Raman writes Oppenheimer to me was the best movie in years and Nolan's uh, best work. Did you have to say writing this? <laughs> well, I mean, she like she, she was grinding grinding the metal horse okay, man. Okay, okay, she was like go. going okay, hard. I just okay, 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 okay. Let's go. What's next? All go right. ahead, keep reading. So uh, it stayed with me days after I saw it and cannot stop raving about it to friends. Watching it again on IMAX seventy uh, millimeter in uh, Mississauga. Ooh, Mississauga has a good theater. Um, I, I wouldn't say it's the best movie in years myself. I do think it could be Christopher Nolan's best film. It could be. The only film, like, I think it's better than Inception. I think it's better than Interstellar. I I think it's even better than my favorite Christopher Nolan movie, um, which is uh, Insomnia. But is it better than The Dark Knight? Maybe. I, I need to marinate on it a little bit, but it might end up being my favorite Christopher Nolan film of all time. I'm still not sure if I think it's the best film of the year. It's it's going to be tight between that and Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, but it's a wonderful movie. All right, what's next? John Redcorn writes, two concerns that I have about the Marvels is one, it may require you to watch 3D, oh, di three Disney Plus shows, WandaVision, Miss Marvel, and Secret Invasion to get what's going on. Uh, two, after two trailers, I don't know what the movie's about. I agree with your first concern. I, I agree with that. 
I mean, having seen WandaVision and having watched Ms. Marvel, that's fine for me. But I agree. Look, I was talking about a little bit earlier. The old Marvel, you never had to do homework before watching a new Marvel project. Now you do. I don't think you have to watch Secret Invasion. I, I'm not getting the sense that you have to watch Secret Invasion to be able to watch it. That being said, um, I'm a big stickler about after the second trailer, I should have a basic idea what the movie's about. I've watched two trailers now. I feel like we've got the basic idea of what, what this movie is so about. I think so, too. The Kree are on the, on the rampage, and yeah, their there's powers another accuser who's got a bangle like mm -hmm. Ms. Marvel's that is somehow manipulated to the powers between Ms. Marvel, Photon, or whatever they're going to call her in it, and Ms. Marvel. They end up switching things as causing a big challenge for them, and they've got to stand against this accuser. I, I mean, I don't know, need to know all the intricate details. I just have, I, I feel like I now have a basic idea about what the movie's about. Unlike, say, Blade Runner 2049, where I watched like six promo spots for that. And I never, I had never had a single clue what that movie was going to be about till I watched it. And I ended up liking the movie a lot. But I, I do feel like I got a basic idea about what uh, this movie is. I, I do feel like I'm not too uh, worried about having to see all those other shows because this is being told from, I think, mainly Miss Marvel or Captain Marvel's perspective, who just appeared in, in Miss Marvel's closet. And so they're going to have to explain to her who these people are, and thereby will understand who Miss Marvel is and her family. But like, for instance, take take for example a lot of the people who haven't who didn't watch Ms. Marvel, right? And and you know it's one of the most unknown. It's one of the newest characters, even in the Marvel comics. A lot of people didn't see it, even though it's guys. Listen to me, it's fucking fantastic. If you haven't watched Ms. Marvel, you should. But if I try to look at it from the perspective of people who haven't seen it, you're watching this trailer and like, who is this kid? <laughs> and why are they in her family's living room, right? Like, if you didn't see Ms. Marvel, like, this is all hitting you. It's like, okay, I recognize Captain Marvel, mm -hmm. but I have no idea who this Rambo is. I have no idea who this Kamala is. I, I don't know what's going on here. I Yeah, I think it's a valid concern. Yeah. All right, what's next? Um, John Redcorn writes, over under 40% Wrexham AFC reference in Deadpool 3. 100%. 100%. They referenced Wrexham and Ted Lasso. Did they? Yeah, in season two. And they even referenced Ryan Reynolds owning it and everything. Wait, did Wrexham even come out in Ted Lasso by the time? By, by season two. And they reference it. Uh, like early in season two. No. Wrexham mm -hmm. wasn't on TV by the time Ted Lasso season two came they, out. It's referenced. I remember it. Huh. Yeah. Okay. I got. I, now I got to find that reference. But I'll I 100% think they're going to reference it in Deadpool 3. All right. What's next? Uh... Future Millionaire writes, hey, Ray, did you blush or cringe at the, oh my God, the Florence Pugh scene in Oppenheimer? You know, riding he was metal grinding, <laughs> riding the shit out of that dude. Did you blush? I, I actually, he thought it went by too fast because like before, <laughs> I think that's what most, most, I most I don't, men probably felt that way. I don't way. mean that in like that way. I just, it took a second for my mind to process. Who that, I didn't know that was Florence Pugh was even in the movie. I didn't know. I had totally forgotten she was in the movie. And then that happened. And the then movie. when they did the talking close up on her face, I was like, did I just see Florence Pugh just do what just happened right there? So it took my brain. So I was like, there's no rewind here. So there's nothing I could do about it. So. And by the way, it, I'm making jokes about it, but it wasn't gratuitous. Like remember to me, gratuitous no. is when it was completely unnecessary. The nudity and the sex or intimacy, whatever, it was conveying something yeah, that was happening bang, bang. in the movie. And again, I, I'm not going to say what it was for those of you who haven't seen the movie. <laughs> Sorry. But it was elevating 
the tension of a scene. It <laughs> yeah. was it was deepening our understanding of certain characters and their dynamics. It wasn't gratuitous. No, it, wasn't. it was sexy as hell, but it wasn't gratuitous. It was it was done in the in the name of the art, Killian. and it worked. <laughs> More art. All right, what's next? All right. Uh, future millionaire. Oh no, we wrote Raymond Vrata. The Star Trek uh, Strange New Worlds Lower Decks crossover was what fans were waiting for. Uh, yeah, just ask Rob. It was the best of both worlds. I have not started watching this new season of Strange New Worlds yet, just because I've been I've been like inundated with other stuff. All I can say is I loved season one. I, I haven't liked Star Trek this much since Star Trek: The Next Generation. Um, it, I thought season one was absolutely fantastic. I'm looking forward to watching this season. I just have to get through this last thing I'm watching right now, and then I get to start watching this season of Strange New Worlds. All right, what's next? Dylan Fernando writes, congrats on starting the movie blog 20 years ago. I've been a fan since 2019. Thanks for inspiring me to be a part of the film fandom community. Yeah, I think yesterday. That was the day? Yesterday was officially the 20th anniversary. Dang. Of me starting the movie, writing my first post on the movie blog. Um, it, 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 so long story short, for those of you who don't know it, I, I was writing, I was living in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada, and I had started a blog, uh, just mostly so my friends and family back in Ontario in the Toronto Hamilton area could, I could keep up to date with what I was doing, right? When I realized I was writing about 80% of my blog posts was about the movies I was watching, I just decided I'm going to start another blog just for movies. And it was so early, the domain name themovieblog.com was available. <laughs> so I bought that domain name and I made my first blog post in July of 2003 about the movie Seabiscuit. That hadn't come out yet. Seabiscuit had just dropped a new trailer, and I made my very first post about this new trailer for Seabiscuit. And uh, I was in my friend's basement on a laptop, put it together. Little did I know what I thought was just going to be a little side hobby turned into something that would change the direction of my life. And it changed my career. It changed um, everything. And guys, I had just turned 30. It is never too late to completely change directions and have a new start and do something different and do something new. And even in my career in, um, in doing film stuff, I have changed directions many times. Going from doing my blog to then working for AMC Theaters, leaving AMC, working with Complex, leaving Complex to go out on my own. I mean, it's never too late. Whatever you want to do with your life, if you're in your teens or 20s, perfect. But even if you're much older than that, it is never too late. Take your first step, start going in the new direction you want to go in. And it has been, it's been 20 years since I've been doing this. And it led me to Los Angeles. It led me to meeting my wife. Um, it's been, uh, been a hell of a ride, man. All right, thank you for that, dude. I appreciate that. All right, what's next? Uh, Raymond Vrata writes, besides the Star Trek crossover, San Diego Comic-Con also dropped the Invincible Adam Eve uh, special. Uh, I might rewatch Invincible season two in November. I'm yeah, I, I, somebody wrote into me and said they dropped an Adam Eve. Like it's like kind of like a little bit of a prequel. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go home and watch it later tonight. I'm definitely gonna go home and watch it later tonight. I'm actually pretty excited. I love the first season of Invincible. I don't think it's the greatest thing on TV or anything, but it's uh, it's quite good. It's quite enjoyable. And I cannot wait to see where they go with it. All right, what's next? 
Michael Jones writes uh, with twenty dollars. Oh, free thank you, Michael. Uh, this is the first weekend where two movies have made over eighty or seventy million for the three-day weekend. Uh, there have been three times when two movies made over sixty. Memorial Day weekend, two thousand four, Shrek two in its second week made seventy-two, and uh, I'll get his two-parter here. Another twenty dollars. Thank you. Uh, the day after tomorrow. Wow. Debut with sixty-eight point wow. seven on Christmas weekend, two thousand nine. Uh, Avatar. In its second weekend, made $75 million, and Sherlock Holmes debut at $62 million. And on June of 2013, Monsters University and World War Z debuted with $82 and $66 million. Uh, last of three. Um, a few side notes. Monsters University and World War Z weekend was Man of Steel second weekend. One reason why it fell 65%. And Shrek 2 and Avatar both set records for biggest second weekend at the time. Yeah, I mean, there's different ways you can... By the way, thank you so much for sending those in. Those very generous uh, yeah. tips of yours. Thank you so much for that, Michael. Appreciate that. We were mentioning a little bit earlier in the show that I, I believe it was Deadline Variety that was saying this is the first time ever that one movie made over $100 million and another movie made over 50 um, it even puts it in more into context when you mention the fact that never had movies, two movies make over $70 million. And the same weekend. Opening. Or, well, and opening, but at, at all. Mm -hmm. And so it's, I love, I don't know if you tell this, maybe this is the sports guy in me, but I love statistics that paint a picture, Right. That, that's why I love the statistic when we talked earlier about the success of Barbie this weekend, saying Barbie in its opening weekend made more money in the United States than Flash or Fast X did in their entire theatrical run in the United States. I love statistics like that that paint a picture. And I don't think we ever would have even thought about this, but to think that we've never had a weekend where two movies made over $80 million? Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Like, it, it that paints a historical context for us to truly understand how special what happened with Barbenheimer this weekend actually was and how unheard of it is and understanding it may be a long effing time before we see anything like this happen again. And it's uh, it's pretty remarkable. And, and I love that you're throwing out those numbers, the, the 80 plus, the 70 plus. And I love that you're giving some historical data too on the ones that did do the 60 plus. That was really interesting. Shrek 2, really? Um, so I, that's great. So thanks for sharing that, man. I appreciate it very much. All right, what's uh, next? All right, uh, Big Mouth Stan writes, Killian Murphy's eyes alone in certain scenes in Oppenheimer told us how he felt better than uh, words could ever describe. Just a br brilliant performance and the best acting of his career in my opinion. I've heard some people asking, considering how long Killian Murphy has worked with Christopher Nolan, so why did it take so long for him to give Killian Murphy a lead? Because those of you who may not know, the reason, the way Killian Murphy got his role as Scarecrow in the Dark Knight movies is that he actually auditioned to play Batman. And Christopher Nolan, that's nope. You're not the perfect. You're not the right fit for that role. Christian Bale is whatever. So a lot of people say, How's he, how come he hasn't given Killian Murphy a lead role before? Because he was waiting for the right role for him. That this, Robert Oppenheimer, this is the role you should be taking. This is the lead role you should have. It reminds me a lot of when James Gunn was doing his Michael Rosenbaum Inside of You podcast, when they're like, uh, because like, wait a minute, he's super close, good buddies with uh, Michael Rosenbaum. He was in his wedding party. He was, he was at his bachelor party. They flew around the world together. Why wouldn't he make him Lex Luthor? Because James Gunn's like, it's, it's got to be the right role. 
And Michael Rosenbaum, he played a great Lex Luthor, but this Lex Luthor is not going to be the same as that Lex, right? So that's Christopher Nolan. He's not just going to take his buddy and just put him in for the sake of putting him in. It's got to be right for the role. And man, did he pick the right one for Killian Murphy to play because he is awesome in Oppenheimer. So good in it. All right, what's next? Uh, Bright writes, uh, I knew the story of Strauss and the security hearings, uh, but the film really made me realize how damn pretty uh, petty he really was for doing all that to Oppie. Oh, Oppie. I'll tell you what, as Oppenheimer started getting screwed over in the movie, right? And again, we're not going to go into details. Just tell us how it ends. Every time I tap, Ray is sitting beside me going, oh, like audibly, Ray is beside me. You can just hear Ray making it. The son of a bitch. <laughs> like, getting, like getting audibly angry. I don't like that stuff, man. Things that were happening in the movie. I don't movie. like that stuff, man. You got a problem? Ray gets right into the, hey, say what you want about, about falling asleep or whatever. Ray gets, when there, there's a movie that Ray likes, he gets right into these movies. All right, what's next? B. Cookie writes, have you B. seen Cookie. The Harder They Fall? It's a Western starring uh, Jay Majors and Idris Elba. Most people I talk to haven't heard of it, but it's so good. I've definitely heard of it, but I haven't That's seen it. That's the one on Netflix, right? We that were was... at your house for the premiere. Yeah. That was a terrible movie. I didn't stay to watch it. <laughs> I watched the premiere and then went home. Because <laughs> they did the red carpet. They gave you a code, remember? Yeah. The, I got to see in advance. I got to, I got yeah, to yeah. watch the premiere of it. They, gave, they sent me a special code so I could watch yeah, this thing the early. Carpet. It's filled with people I love in it. God, that movie was awful. I wanted to love it because I could. Lakeith is in it. Idris is in it. Um, Jonathan Major. John, uh, I mean, uh, 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 Reg, Reg, Regina. Um, Regina Hall. Regina Hall. Who like kicked like? I love almost everybody in this movie. That movie is garbage. So bad. It got great ratings. God bless. This is one of the big examples about like all movies subjective. You watch that movie and you loved it. Awesome. Your experience and your opinion of it is no more or less valid than mine. But again, it's just that my experience with it was very different. I thought it was god-awful. I expected much, much, much better from that movie, especially with the incredible talent in it. But that's just me. All right. What's next? Levartov writes, um, hey, John, I have liked Secret Invasion, but once again, the show's quality has been diminishing by these horrid runtimes. Was it short? Did that was part one. Was there a part two? Oh, yeah. Um... I will no longer look forward to any Disney Plus show if it has six-episode count. Born Again is the only reason I have hope Disney Plus will do it justice. The one thing I will say for Secret Invasion is at least the episodes have been longer than— like, they've done some six-episode shows where it's like 31 minutes, right? So at least the episodes have been notably longer than what they have been otherwise. And to be honest with you— while I also don't like six episodes as a as an episode count, I'd like to see longer. I will say that we'll see what happens after the finale tomorrow night. But I feel like they've told the story, like I like, and I haven't felt that way about other MCU shows. But about this one, I at least feel like I feel like they've told the story, and I don't know if more episodes were needed for this one. I may feel differently after I see the finale, though. So, yeah, six episodes is frustrating, but at least these six episodes have been longer than some of the other ones. All right, what's next? Mojo Dojo Casa House uh, writes... Uh, have you Re seen Barbie? You understand that reference. <laughs> uh, Regal's mystery tonight is going to be Gran Turismo. 
you know what? That movie's going to bomb horribly. But I, I got after the CinemaCon presentation, I'm actually legitimately interested in seeing this movie. I want to see how it turns out. Let us know what you think of it after you see it. All right, what's next? Uh, finally, Shuvo Rahman writes, I see uh, Opie having uh, a great leg in the box office. Yeah, I think both, we were talking about this earlier, I think both Barbie and Oppenheimer. I think there are a lot of people that uh, couldn't see Barbie because they all sold out. They're going to go back to see Barbie. I think a lot of people decided to see Barbie first and are going to go see Oppenheimer next weekend. I think you're going to see both of them have pretty strong legs. And look, all due respect to all the people, wonderful, talented people involved with trying to put um, Haunted Mansion together. Uh, Haunted Mansion is going to get its ass handed to it. Uh, I, I Listen, I'm going to go see it on Thursday. Ray's going to go see it on Thursday. <laughs> I'm going to hope for the best. You guys probably have plenty of seats in there, right? Probably <laughs> lots of leg room. Um, yeah, it's going to have leg I'm room. I'm not legs. expecting a great movie. But hope springs eternal. Like I said, I, I love Rosario Dawson. Oh God, I love Rosario Dawson. Oh, wow. Owen Wilson, <laughs> Lakeith, Danny. I mean, it's it's a great cast. Here's hoping, but it ain't going to stop the momentum of Barbie or Oppenheimer. So I think they're both going to do well. All right, guys. With that down, that'll do it for today's installment of Open Mic Grinding That Metal Cowboy. Oh, boy. Thank you so much for being here and joining us for today's show. I want to thank Ray Aura, who I've scarred for life, apparently. Also, Jonathan Voico. My name's John Campia. Thanks a lot for being here, guys. Don't forget to come back and join us again tomorrow. And until next time, my friends, grinding. <laughs>